1: Welcome to Music In My Life with me, Laura Wright. It's the show where we talk about the music we love so much, our relationship with that music and the role it plays in our life. What is it about music that taps into our emotions and why does it make us feel a certain way? This week's guest for Music In My Life is an artist and an academic. Caroline Wright studied at Norwich University College of the Arts, taking an MA in Fine Arts back in 2002. She's now a doctoral candidate at the Royal College of Art, where she's using drawing and performance to aid her research, the title of which is Transplanted Matter, Swimming to Investigate the Eroding Coast of Suffolk. I'm going to mention at this point, she's also my mum. (laughs) So I can giggle away now and you'll understand why. Her previous projects include Out of Water, a piece made in collaboration with Helen Paris as part of the London 2012 Cultural Olympiad Festival and toured to Edinburgh Festival and was part of the PSI conference at Stanford University in San Francisco, which is meant to be sunny but wasn't while we were there. We also worked together on a few projects, including one last year, which was called Breath Control. It was performed for four nights at the Coronet Theatre in London breath control is about the inhalations and exhalations that form the melody rhythm and punctuation of our everyday existence it also addresses air quality and our personal relationship to breathing so now you know a little bit more about my mum I can say that this is quite surreal for me and I have to say I feel like I'm interviewing my biggest fan the person that always says I loved your podcast today Laura well done keep going so mum welcome to the podcast how are you?
2: Thank you, daughter, Laura. <laughs> I'm fine. I'm very well, thank you, and really looking forward to this. Um, it does feel really surreal, I have to say, uh, because um, yes, normally we would be giggling giggling a lot, and I'm wondering whether we will be giggling just as much.
1: Yeah, I hope I- so. Yeah we'll try and get through it without too many giggles Um, and I do I I asked all my guests this to start with so tell me you know this year has been so weird for us all and of course me knowing more than others but for people who don't know you how has this been this year been for you like how's your life changed and I know we're all aware of clinging to the negatives but also tell me have there been any kind of silver linings for you?
2: Well I think the most positive thing is a greater appreciation of where I live. Um, Your dad, Paul, and I live in Suffolk, where you were born and brought up. And it is just the most incredible county in the terms of its space, its air, its sky, the landscape, and being able to walk in that Um, you know, initially just for, for our hour a day that we all had was just a lifesaver. And, and you just appreciate that and you appreciate the sound of the bird song. Um, the, the wind in the trees, the wind in your face, all those elements of nature, so much more, I think, when you know that uh, you only have a small amount of time to actually enjoy them. And I'm, ho- I'm really trying to hold on to that as much as possible. And swimming is the other thing. So once we could get into the sea because we live near the coast. For me, that was also a lifesaver and a real positive this again being with nature and and feeling the power of nature and uh, and how invigorating that can be. so that those were the positives for me um, for sure. but also just spending quiet time at home um, with with Paul, with your dad, um, just being together, I think that although obviously that brings its challenges. It also brought an incredible period of real closeness, uh, which obviously we have all the time, but it, 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 there were moments, I think, when we just sat and just enjoyed being together. Yeah. Um, yeah, really special.
1: Yeah, I know what you mean, actually. I have to say, um, Harry, my husband and myself have had very similar experience, that sense of just... Um, enjoying the simple things and the things I suppose that we can control as well because it felt like and it still does a little bit feel like the world is out of control and spinning a bit too fast for all of us um, and I think that's a really lovely point and you mentioned obviously yeah your husband Paul my dad um, he obviously is quite in the sense of uh, talking COVID terms has been at times in that vulnerable category has it been I know it's been hard for you personally but you say there's been those positives but for him do you think he's enjoyed the same things
2: um yes I do I do think his his walking and getting out into into the fields in uh, into the woods has been really good for him um because you know it took on even more importance because of h- h- a sort of restricted world that you find yourself within um when you're locked down and also um shielding and being really careful So I think there's that, I think there's also sort of new rituals and habits that you develop that you hadn't got before. Um, And I think that's something he and I've both noticed has been a change for us. So um, yes, I I guess we washed our hands before, but now we wash (laughs) them very regularly and at very specific points in the day. Um, and, And sort of, rejoice in that and feel like yeah that's good we've done that that's important.
1: Yeah definitely and so obviously we're here to talk about music now I'm gonna try and not get in the way of any of your answers because I obviously (laughs) know you quite well but tell everyone who's listening what for you like what role has music played in your life is it something that's been a constant has it has it been something you've kept to yourself or shared with others um I know it's a really big question to answer but for you what's what's music meant
2: that's a huge question I know know, um so what has music meant well it's just been there and it's been there in so many different guises and in different ways throughout life through different people um through different emotions, through different circumstances. I feel like I've been blessed with music because partly because of yourself, Laura, and your career, I've managed to listen to things that I never dreamt I would be able to. I suppose music has interspersed particular points of life in a way that you always remember, but it's also something that's just constant, that's there and lifts the spirits or allows you to be sad and indulge yourself, which I know we probably, maybe we don't talk about that, but sometimes music can be really useful if you feel that you want to just be really sad for a while and then then you the music stops and you move on and you're in a different place. Um, so yeah, music is important. And I think music has also been really influential in terms of how my life has panned out. So yes. thinking about my introduction to music and to the arts in general and how that has enabled me and guided me to make particular choices with what I've done in life through through visual art, through performance art and through, um, yeah, through the decisions that I've made. And there's a lot of people to thank on the, on the way for that, I think. You know, people... People introduce you to songs, don't they? Your friends say, listen to this. Yeah. Um, and, and, and we never really say thank you. We just say, oh, yeah, that's good. Or, oh, yes, I like that. Or, or no, I don't like that. Or whatever. Um, but actually those moments of when you, you hear something um, can often have an impact that goes on way beyond that particular moment. So, yeah, it's been a fantastic thing.
1: Yeah, and what would you say in terms? Because I know, without obviously getting political, but what would you say in terms of how how you feel at the moment that arts uh, in general, I suppose, is in danger of becoming a much smaller um, a smaller industry than it has ever been, and also a sense of people feeling a little bit lost. I guess uh, myself included in that. You know, what would you say are the other things that will will be missed? Because I know I feel, for example, that without music and without live performance that we're missing out on so much expression and and you use the word indulgence there as well allowing ourselves to just have that that moment to indulge in a piece of music that is just so beautiful it takes us somewhere else and that's what I love about music that's why I love this podcast and for you in terms of being an artist but also you know music has been I feel a part of your work as well for inspiration and for other reasons what makes you kind of sad at the moment about the thought of losing it I guess
2: um I mean clearly we are in a really really Difficult time for anybody within the cultural industries. Um, anything that happens in the moment that has a liveness about it um, is clearly impacted massively through the current restrictions. I think there's something about music, theatre, visual arts, performance arts, bringing people together. So you have a sort of, you have individuals coming together as a common group and they experience something together in that moment. And they then all go off into their individual lives, but they take that moment, that collective moment with them and it will stay with them forever in whatever guise they remember it. And those, um, those moments are very precious. Not only that, there's something about as when you're on the other side of the fence as a performer as a as an artist your your relationship with your audience with the people that respond to your work with what you do is what you feed from and yes we can all paint draw no we can't all but we try to paint and draw in our studios we we sing we play our instruments But that uh, feeding and and lifeblood of where that goes when it's it's listened to by another person is how you then develop your own creative instincts and, and the way that you respond to that then impacts on the next piece of work that you make. So I do feel worried. I don't think I feel sad. I feel worried at the moment. I feel worried for the future of the industry, for the health and well-being, and future of all those people involved in it, and for the loss of those experiences for the younger people. Who, mm. you know, I'm thinking of my three beautiful granddaughters, and the, the opportunities they may have in the future to go to to see art to see concerts to, to go to a, a, a ballet or a theatrical performance in some way. So um, I, I have a real concern. And um, I, I mean, the arts, I hope, will always out because we need them. We live by them. They nourish us and feed us. Um, the arts bring a huge amount of money into our economy. Uh, I think that gets forgotten somewhere along the line that that actually, if you think about the the sort of industries that we're so good at in this country, film, animation, theatre, performance, music, it's worldwide, but we are a a leader in that. And, uh, you know, I feel that we we need that support from from government and from official bodies to to help organisations to survive. And, yeah, you know, yesterday there were, I think it was yesterday, there were some large grants announced. And thank goodness for that, for some organisations to be able to continue and keep going. But of course, for everyone who got some money there, probably three or four who didn't, if not more, um, and maybe the smaller organisations. Um, and of course, that's not to say anything of the individuals either. So yeah, I feel worried for the arts at the moment.
1: Yeah. It's so true I completely agree with you I was thinking if I was studying when where I studied at Royal College of Music if I was there now as a student I would be so worried because the thing that I'm so passionate about and we all choose that at quite a young age but the thing that we are passionate about and we follow that path then suddenly might not be there which feels quite ominous (laughs) and quite scary um so you know I think yeah we have to just do I suppose the best we can to support those coming up in the industry and and give them those performance opportunities. Um but well said there. Um, (laughs) So we're gonna we're gonna shoot through some of your choices. Now I know it's I know (laughs) I say that because I know it's it's caused many a sleepless night over there in in sleepy Suffolk. um, which For me, it's caused many a sleepless night as well. I mean, tossing and turning over which song choices. But we're going to start with a song which always cheers you up. Now, this is, I don't even know how to describe this piece of music. Is it an album? Is it one of many separate pieces that all link together it's iconic um I couldn't even explain everything about it if I wanted to or if I'd studied it for years but you tell me why personally this piece of music uh, by Mike Oldfield Tubular Bells means so much to you and it always cheers you up
2: well, I think you 've hit the nail on the head how How do you describe it? I think I refer to it as an album because essentially it is just one amazing long piece of music. and when I heard it first, I think I was probably about sixteen or so, I was just completely blown away by it because for a start, it was one long track that filled a whole album. So, and that it, was
1: pretty unusual at that yeah, time,
2: right? Yeah, absolutely, and it it just lifts you and takes you on a journey from the moment that you hear the first note. It's so recognisable as well, um, and it has this incredibly striking album cover. Um, which when I was really young, my grandpa used to take me to Tate Britain uh, and he used to sit on the long benches in the middle of the galleries and read his newspaper while I went round the gallery and stared up at the old masters. I don't know, I must have been... 10 or 11 and I adored these paintings and they seemed absolutely huge to me. I don't think my grandpa really liked them because he was just reading the paper. Head in his paper yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly and I was going around just with my mouth open looking at these enormous paintings how the paint was really luscious and thick and how some of them the light just shone out and I now know that that's something called charis which is where light and dark are really contrasted but at the time it felt like there were there were actual torches like coming out from the yeah. paintings. Um, and that was my experience of art. And then a little roll on a f- few years, and then suddenly you see this album cover for Tubular Bells, which is this rich blue, and then it has a bent bell on the front. And I realised there was this whole world of visual possibilities with this really iconic image there that's sort of balanced in the centre of the, of the square cover of the vinyl, as they're called now. And then open that up and put that on the record player. And you've got this incredible sense of different instruments and different rhythms and melodies. I think John Peel played it on his radio show, which I remember being a really significant moment. And I also remember I also remember that there was a film at the time called The Exorcist. Yeah,
1: that's I was going to mention that.
2: That's, yeah, <laughs> and I was not allowed to go and see it. Oh, I was, really. But my mum, mum and dad, your granny and grandpa were like, you are not allowed to go and see this. But I, I knew that this was the music for it, so it was sort of close, if you like. Um, and then at the end, the other thing was that at school in music, we'd been listening to the. Britain's Young Person's Guide to the Orchestra. And at the end of Tubular Bells, I presume it's Mike Oldfield saying, but he introduces the instruments as they come in, in the way that Britain introduces instruments as a guide. And there was this this funny sort of synchronicity between what I was doing at school um, and what, what I was listening to out of school as well. So, there's a lots of reasons and and it just always makes me smile and always makes me feel i can weird. hear I, I can, can hear, hear you it.
1: smiling <laughs> as you talk about it. It's like almost like a sort of this weird coming together of many different things resulted in this album for you being kind of that moment in a way, yeah, 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 mm. exactly.
2: Let's the other a- thing too, of course, is that Britton, who wrote The Young Person's Guide to the Orchestra, he sort of cropped up later as well. It's funny how these things happen, isn't it? Because when we moved to Suffolk uh, and you, you all went to your uh, first school, it turned out Britain had been to that school and he is buried in Albro, which is really close to where I am sitting right now. And um, he wrote the school song, for your school my goodness so weird, there we go it? that's a bit tangential it's a bit bit of a stretch but no
1: I like it I like it of, yeah nice well, things come around exactly full circle I think let's um let's have a little listen to a section of this and obviously as you say this this piece is iconic and it is worth listening to this in full but we're going to just hear a small part of tubular bells by Mike Oldfield
2: oh wow hypnotic (laughs) it's that that those rhythms the way that they all I mean you would know the correct name for this syncopate is that yeah they're kind of yeah
1: they're cross rhythms um so you get this strange kind of sense of playing catch up but also feeling like this slight sense of laziness at the same time um it's quite satisfying but also a little bit uncomfortable to listen to which is I presume also why it ended up as the soundtrack for the exorcist because it's that kind of weird hypnotic slightly uncomfortable sound <laughs> that you're sitting in. Um, but I was I was looking up, and as I say, I'm not going to attempt to try and break down musically what's going on, but it is something that I think everyone should listen to in full when they have the time. But I wanted to read you something that uh, Mike Oldfield said quite recently about Tubular Bells. And he said, looking back on the album... Uh, As an older man, he said, the sound quality is actually great. And the most amazing thing about it was that it was all first take. Can you believe? Nobody, myself included, would dream of doing that now. I agree. And he confessed that the album's healing audiophonic qualities worked not only as kind of to the millions who listened to it, but also on himself. So he said, it was the only time I felt sane and vaguely happy. I suppose it describes in a nutshell the anguish of teenagerhood, which most people can relate to. It
2: personifies all that. Which is really interesting. Oh my goodness, that's so eloquently said and so... Oh, I can completely see that I had no idea well I suppose it would have been recorded in one take then thinking exactly. about it
1: exactly and that's what's so incredible about actually a few of your choices today uh, in the way that they would have been recorded is just how I don't think we appreciate that as much now uh, with the sort of digital age of music and and how you know these things were recorded in one take and and that was that sort of thing
2: you just just uh, revealing my age here Laura I think sorry
1: sorry <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Um, so <laughs> let's let's go on to uh, your next music choice. This is a song that reminds you of good times. And somehow my <laughs> mum has managed to get two songs in here, which apparently is very important because there's a link between the two. So please do explain um, these next two songs. So we've got Eugene Record and The Chylites, and this is the 1971 version of Have You Seen Her? And then we're going to Igor Stravinsky and the Rite of Spring, the the first part of that, which is called the Adoration of the Earth. So talk to me about these two pieces of music and how they link together for you.
2: Well, goodness, this is, I mean, I've, select oh spit it out woman I think there's a, that, that you've asked me for a song that reminds me of good times and um, what's really interesting to me when I was thinking about this was there was no one song that I could think about that reminded me of good times in general because there were lots of different songs that reminded me of different good times mm-hmm. but these two combined in one experience i think have have taught me an awful lot and have taught me about how to try to be a better person and how to make something terrible be bearable and improved and uh, just helped i suppose so when i was at school um and i can't think how old i was but I probably I don't know, 13 or 14. No, no, 15, because yeah, it would have been fifteen. I remember going into my music class, um, music GCSEs, and I was uh, I realized that some of the girls in in the class were looking pretty upset. And the music teacher explained when we were all sitting down really quietly that we were gonna just change our usual lesson pattern. Um And we were told to put our books away and she went on to say that one of the girls in our class who'd been ill for a long while had passed away. Um, And of course, for some of us who didn't know that when we walked into the room, it was a real shock. So Mm. we were then all asked to decide together as a class on a piece of music that we wanted to listen to for our classmate. Um, and so collectively, we all chose The Chilites because that was her favourite song at the time. Um, and we all listened to it and a lot of us cried. And it, I think at that point, I realised that lyrics were really important to music, that I thought a lot about music and rhythm and harmony and song, but this was a moment when lyrics came through so strongly and how you read into lyrics, the mood and the take on them that you want at the time. Um, And I think really I hadn't paid much attention to lyrics up to that point. And when that piece of music was over the class, we were then able to talk about our friend for a while And then really, really carefully, our teacher encouraged us to think about the power of music and how it can capture a person and how it speaks to emotions. And she talked about how different music can make you feel in different ways. And then she then said, I want to play you something which is going to be really different. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: It's something really new. You've probably never heard it before. And she then played Stravinsky's The Rite of Spring. And I'd never heard anything like it in my life. I mean, it was extraordinary. It made me sit up and take notice. It was just such a different thing to anything I'd encountered before. And although the mood of the class was obviously very somber, um, it, it was such a different, it was almost like a release. And when I look back, I realize that, that was probably a really brave thing for the teacher to do at that time, and a really, a really brave choice of music. Um, and I suppose, in a way you're probably wondering, why have I chosen this to reflect good times? Well, I think it's because that music class was was one of the highlights of my school week, that and art. And that day will never be forgotten. I mean, I remember it now and it was a very long time ago because it's where I learned about the value of friendship and the power of the arts and the impact that one person can have on others and how music that's introduced to you can change your perspectives on what life is like and what music can be and is and I think it was also a point at which I started to find out about my own place in the world of all this different culture out there and really started to think goodness me it can be anything you can do anything um and the writer spring is on my studio playlist when I'm working in the studio. And it's so full of energy that it completely lifts the spirits and makes you jump around. And again, a bit like tubular bells that there's that rhythmic um, connection and separation that plays with your mind as you're listening to it. Um, but and I suppose the other thing is that that experience I really I, I occasionally pops into my mind when I'm working with students, because I think to myself, you know, you can you can plan something you're going to do, but when you get into the space and your students are there and you're in the room, and then something might have happened or th- th- there's something going on, and you need to work with being in the moment and be sensitive and understand that there's an individual and a collective element to working with groups of people. Um, and even if that means sort of going off plan, um, you know, to be able to do that and to have confidence to do that and to trust into an instinct. And I think, um, yeah, so there's a lot of things came out of that, that I think have impacted on life a lot. Uh, even though it was a very sad moment, it was also a moment that has had a lot I think of of benefits from it
1: yeah what an amazing story and obviously now makes complete sense why those two pieces are sort of intrinsically linked for you personally Um, let's have a little listen to each of those so we'll listen to Eugene Record and the Childites which is Have You Seen Her and Igor Stravinsky's The Rite of Spring which is the first part one The Adoration of the Earth honestly amazing I that is such an amazing story that I've genuinely I've never heard you talk about that and also just so many things you touched on there you talked about you know clearly actually that that girl's memory lives on as well and and she inspired you by the music that she was so passionate about and you talked about you know you mentioned the word release in the fact that and you talked about it actually at the start when we were talking in the introduction that that music can be sort of allow you to have a certain emotion and allow you to sit in that emotion for a while and when that piece of music finishes it's like it bookends that moment in your life and you can kind of go okay I can compartmentalize that and I can now look forward and you know and and look back on that with fondness and I think that's that's amazing and then you also talked about the fact that yeah when you um, which I didn't mention at the start. You know, when you are doing some of your teaching work, and I've experienced some of that during lockdown and teaching uh, people, other musicians, and and when sometimes in a lesson or, or, or a space, you'll just go, "Do you know what? I just need to sort of forget what I had in mind today. We're just going to do this." And it, it's because you're just going with the sense of of the the room and the feeling that's that's around you at that moment. Um, I wonder, does it bring back some some really nice memories in a funny way for you hearing that music now? Um,
2: yes. Yeah, it does. I I actually remembered the the name of my classmate right the minute that first note came in, Her, her name popped into my head. Um, and I had her Christian name and I was struggling a little bit to remember her surname and it was just there so that it shows how music triggers parts of the brain, doesn't it really strongly? And, and hearing the Stravinsky, um, Yeah, which is an incredible, incredible piece of music. Um, Yeah, which I should learn more about, actually. And and it makes me realise I know very little about music in terms of how it's come about and why it was written. I'm a listener rather than somebody who understands the context around it and okay um, well I can
1: yeah. look mum I can give you a little bit of a lesson in the right oh please do well it was okay so here we go guys story time <laughs> <laughs> um it's composed in 1913 and it was actually written as a ballet as well as an orchestral work so when it was designed as sort of a, a stage work um and and performed for the first time, the music is what ended up receiving greater recognition. And that's why it became such an influential piece of music um, in terms of the the 20th century. And also the reason for that is within the music, which we only had, again, a very small part of just there, but there's this experimentation in tonality, in uh, dissonance, in sort of, you could hear a bit of that that kind of uh, rhythm that that creates sort of stress within the sound and then comes away and and that's why as well it's influenced many many other composers um especially even composers now it's one of those pieces that actually is I think it's one of the most recorded works you know in the classical repertoire so it really is iconic but also I, I think that's important to mention that actually if you just listen for a piece for how it sounds and you love it there's nothing wrong with that
2: absolutely <laughs> not Frustrated musician I am, you see. That's the thing. I love to listen, <laughs> but um, yeah, I really want to know more. And, and that's fascinating. That is fascinating. I hadn't realized that it was originally for dance, for ballet. Goodness. Yeah. Um, and now you say that, I can absolutely see how that could be performed, but would be incredibly complex to choreograph to
1: yeah I wouldn't want to choreograph that or (laughs) dance to to it (laughs) (laughs) we'll leave that to the professionals I think Um, and then also if anyone wants to read more about Eugene Record and the Lights, so Eugene Record he's an American singer-songwriter he arranged and wrote a lot of the the music the Lights performed and he was the lead vocalist for them uh, for a period of time between the, the 60s and the 70s but after about 10 years after he passed away sadly from lung cancer his son wrote a life story about him and so if you do want to read more I think that's uh, what I've found anyway from from researching that's the best place to go and sort of understand the reasons behind his uh, inspiration of songs uh, just like the one we we listened to um have you seen her so if you want to read more about his life and and also just his family life and his experience of the music industry at that time um it's a really interesting read
2: The Moments That Made Me with me, Roxy Nafusi, is back. And Series 2 has got some incredible guests lined up. Here is a little taster. People see mental
1: illness as a weakness, but
2: I think people with mental illness are stronger.
1: I'm a proud gay man now. I feel proud every single day.
2: So then I had to go about the task of trying to accept it because I wasn't going to get plastic surgery and I wasn't going to change it. You know, those moments in your life, it was like a Thunderbolt. was it really a big time the conversations i've been having have blown my mind and i cannot wait for you guys to hear what's to come don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss one of our amazing episodes they will be out every wednesday morning that's the moments that made me with me roxy nafusi find it wherever you found this podcast
1: Anyway, we should we should move on. We have lots of music to get through. Uh, yes, um, yes. So this is a song that screams family. Uh, so this is going to remind you of, of just me, right? Or should we mention <laughs> that I have three three older brothers, uh, a big family, a growing family. Um, but there should be, this is a song that has like a really strong family link or connection. Uh, and I I haven't got any notes on this one, so you can you can explain <laughs>
2: why that is. Okay, so this was so hard to decide on. Um, can I say what we're playing? Yeah, of course you can. Okay. You can, absolutely. I've, I, yeah, so we're, we're playing a song that you've written, Laura. Yeah, that's why I haven't got any notes, because <laughs> I feel
1: like it was very narcissistic to write something about myself.
2: <laughs> so, okay, so I feel like I'm introducing this for you now. So this is Invincible by Laura Wright. Um <laughs> It was actually a really difficult choice, this, because I wanted to have something that represented everyone in the family. But as you say, we have a growing family, and that was tricky. But this one is very special because what a lot of people probably don't realise is that not only is this the most amazing thing for a mother, uh, to hear your daughter singing, and to hear your daughter singing something that she's written herself, but also all four of my children. So yes, Laura, you and your three brothers are all singing on this particular piece of music. Um, And not only that, it was written for the most uh, magnificent and important event, the um, Invictus Games, which of course has at its heart, the principles of supporting others and For me, that that means that not only is this piece of music very personal and very special, but it's also something that represents a whole movement that um, is intended and does help support and um, work with people who are less fortunate, who have suffered injury through being in the armed forces. Um, and helps them through sport and endeavor. So I'm not sure that there's much more I can say, except that it does bring a huge mixture of pride when I listen to this. It also brings a feeling of family closeness. It reminds me of when we used to all sing on the way to school. Do you remember that in the yeah, car? Yeah,
1: I do, I do.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and, and we used to sing, we did used to sing things like um, John Martin's May You Never, Um, together and I love that song (laughs) yeah that's the one and uh, did you know that actually one of your brothers sings that to his daughter as she goes to sleep every night No, so he still sings it yes anyhow it reminds me of us all singing on the way to school at the tops of our voices really loudly and and discovering that just like Your grandpa, my dad, you're all able to harmonize by ear, and your voices all blended so naturally. And when I listen to Invincible and I just hear the boys start singing, I just can't stop smiling. It's just like, oh my goodness, there's Laura, and there's all those three boys, and they're singing their hearts out. It's, it's yeah, it's the best
1: amazing I love that and um, it's going to be really nice to hear some of that now as well and we'll talk some more um, about sort of my experience of how it came to be that all of us were singing on this particular song so this is a little part of my own song Invincible (laughs) There we go. It does oh. I have to say it does it does <laughs> give me goosebumps. And do you know what it's funny because it's only now that I really appreciate the fact that we got to record that and we are all on that recording and I think as you get a bit older you realize actually those moments and those recordings will stand the test of time and always be there and will be a moment kind of captured in time that can never be altered or changed and yeah. i did i definitely didn't realize that when i was you know calling them and asking them because I knew that they could all sing and I knew that they loved me as their little sister and I knew that they would (laughs) help and support me and do me a favor and sing on this piece of music that, you know, and and also it was a piece of music that I gifted to the Invictus Games Foundation. So it wasn't something that was for monetary value. It was something for, as you say, the values of the games and and to support those involved. And and it's carried on continuing to be that, which is so lovely, but I definitely didn't realize that at the time. And we were in a, a tiny, tiny studio I think it was in Elephant and Castle and Really, I remember all of us just really, really hot and sweaty because the three of them were also <laughs> incredibly nervous. Because I also forgot that they don't do that for a living. I mean, you know, they're, they're architects or I mean, marketing or teacher, you know, whatever they do for their job. And this was just something totally out of the ordinary. I went, right, okay, well, so that's what we need to do. Okay. And it was just they did it with such <laughs> gusto and enthusiasm. And I, as I say, I just think now I look back and go, I feel so so lucky and blessed to have that to listen to and I couldn't agree more with you that it brings a smile to your face and um yeah just such a wonderful wonderful memory to have so I'm thank you for sharing that as well because it's nice for me to reminisce and be nostalgic about that one.
2: <laughs> I couldn't choose anything else when it came <laughs> to it that was the one that was the song
1: it's gotta be um so this next song is you've chosen a song about a love and um this is so we also should mention we really struggled to find a recording of this which I will after we've listened to a bit of the we're going to listen to a version by Dionne Warwick instead today but I will explain why I think there isn't a recording of it after doing a little bit of research um but tell me about the singer Edie Gourmet and what what kind of this song means to you personally
2: So. Your granny and grandpa, my mum and dad, um, they had quite different musical tastes, but there was always music in the house uh, all the time. So um, my mum was really interested in light opera, and she sang um, in some uh, light opera when she was in Ireland, before she came over to England. Um, Her choice would be Gilbert and Sullivan. Which, uh, grandpa, my dad used to say, oh, can't be doing that, all that tumty tumty tum <laughs> stuff and make fun of it. Whereas his choice was. Uh, down the jazz route so he used to like sort of Ella Fitzgerald Oscar Peterson so we'd have and we had a he had a double bass that he played that used to live in the spare room um, on the bed rather like a body lying on the bed and he'd get this out and and sometimes there'd be musical evenings with a couple of uncles coming along one sort of playing uh, saxophone and flute and dad on the double bass and uh, an uncle on the piano, um, and, and it was always about rhythm and it was always that sort of wonderful freedom that, that jazz has in, in, in built into its music, whereas my mum would say it was really unstructured. <laughs> so it, what's really interesting is how they came from these different places, but they loved music uh, um, wholeheartedly. And this particular song, This Girl's in Love, which can also be sung as this guy's in love, interestingly, I've heard Uh, it, I think, Um, is a really strong memory for me. And I think I must have been really probably 10 or something. And I I, I don't know, but I can just remember my dad coming home from work and saying, I found this amazing song. And my mum saying, I've heard this amazing song. And then my dad saying, look what I've got on a 45 vinyl. And my mum's saying, oh my goodness, that's the song I've heard.
1: No and way. And then, then
2: playing it. And there they were. This girl's in love, this guy's in love, whichever way you want to, to play it. They had both identified that song during the day. And both, when they got together at the end of the day, were so desperate to share it with each other. And I just felt like that that moment sticks in my mind because it's like a meeting of meeting of musical moments, musical minds. And, and yet strangely, when I look back, I think how much of that of a memory have I embellished? Cause memory <laughs> can play tricks and um, it gets sort of slightly shifted. But yeah, for me, I do, I do recall that. And I remember my dad then going to play it and um, we all listened to it together. And it is it's a really beautiful melody. It really is a beautiful melody. Tell well, me more about it. What have you found out?
1: Well, I was going to say. So it's really interesting. You say this guy's in love or this girl's in love because so Edie Gourmet was married to her kind of on-stage co-star uh, Steve Lawrence, and they must have then. Now that you say that, they must have sung it together. And there are actually some videos I've I've seen. Um, just the audio of course but of them singing together sort of duets and that makes sense why perhaps if he sang it to her you know it was this guy's in love and then the opposite way around for her which is interesting but what I read was um in a 2008 fire at Universal a lot of her material was destroyed along with a lot of other artists so I wonder and I don't know this is me just speculating but I wonder whether that's why there's a lack of sort of um Uh, availability to listen to her music there is plenty online but this particular song seemed to elude me when I was trying to find a good version and I think you too uh, we found it sort of a vinyl version as you say Um, but I found that really sad that a lot of the material was destroyed so I don't know whether that's maybe a reason why
2: yes well maybe maybe Mm. I don't I don't know I just it's such an unusual name as well Edie Gourmet I, you know, it's that, that stuck in my mind more than the title of the song with this memory. So when you asked me um, to to come on your podcast, and and I looked at all the questions, this was an immediate go to choice. But it it was, uh, and really, it's a, it's not a you know it's not a name that you would hear regularly now. It's unusual, and the title of the song I got through humming it because I could remember the tune vividly uh, and her beautiful voice so yeah uh, that's really interesting as to why we found it difficult to to find it but we're, we're going to listen to, to did you say Dionne Warwick Yeah it? yeah
1: so obviously there are many um, great performers uh, there's the Ella Fitzgerald version there's the Dionne Warwick version so there's many of these incredible artists who have covered this song but we're going to listen to Dionne Warwick singing This Girl's In Love. <laughs> love it. <laughs> it is so uplifting and I I it, it surprises me that um your mum, my gran, loved this piece of music and I really want to listen to it. A lot, actually, in full over and over again, and and find. And I love also that there is always there's always a piece of music that two people can agree on, even if you have someone who's into, you know, hardcore rock, and someone who's strictly into, I don't know, (laughs) German classical music or something like that. You can always find something that they can each relate to, and I I love that. That's kind of what brought them together, and I I didn't know that either. So it's really nice to hear that.
2: Oh yes, Yeah. yeah. Music does bring people together, that's for sure. It's beautiful.
1: Um, and actually yeah. you mentioned about her name, Edie Gourmet. So apparently lots of people found it really hard to pronounce her name as well. And that's kind of because of the spelling. And that's and then I think her mother said, well, you, you know, you need to change it for your stage name. But I think she stuck with it because it was so unique as a name. <laughs> um, and she grew up she grew up, uh, her father was born in Sicily and her mother was born in Turkey. So she grew up speaking several languages as well. Her first job before going on stage, she was actually a translator and then she kind of sang on the weekends um, in a band. And then I I presume, I think that's how she met her um, husband-to-be, Steve Lawrence. They had two children and actually one of their children, who's called David Lawrence, wrote the score for High School Musical. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Yeah, which is just shows you, you know, music, I think just, you know, it's in the blood and it's in the veins and it kind of you know runs down through the family um so I found that really interesting and obviously they both they both won Grammy Awards Emmy Awards you know Lifetime Achievement Awards they were in the Songwriters Hall of Fame so I think actually for people who by name potentially are little known they actually were incredibly successful as as musicians which is amazing
2: and she has the most extraordinarily beautiful voice too I mean, Dionne Warwick is amazing, don't get me wrong. That was lovely to listen to. But yeah, Edie Gourmet's voice is, is it's like chocolate. That's how I, I would describe that.
1: it. I love that. It's a very good description. So everyone should, uh, should go away and have a listen to her um, at some point if they can. Next to another singer who I would say has an incredibly... Incredibly unique and powerful voice. I love that you've chosen one of her songs, <laughs> and also this is the question that's your gym and sport hype song, which I think probably <laughs> again again needs a bit of explanation as to why this is your go-to pump-up jam, Caroline. <laughs> tell me, tell me yes. about this song and uh, and why you've chosen a, a Barbara Streisand number.
2: <laughs> yeah, I I suppose Barbara Streisand probably wouldn't fit with um, you know a heavy weight workout in the gym. Um, <laughs> however, she did she did fit at a particular time in my life. Um, when I was working with um horses, I'd left school. Um, and it this song, I suppose it, it reminds me of two things. One is my sister. And her love of films and her absolute adoration of Barbara Streisand. So it was a, it was music that was often on in the house and a star is born. The film that Barbara Streisand was in with Chris Christopherson was, was seen regularly, I think is the way I would describe it. Um, and my sister and I were really lucky because um, we had ponies when we were young and they were absolutely a passion of mine. And, Before I went into art, that was it turned into my career. I worked with horses um, for a number of years. And I used to compete. And when you're um, in the ring, um, one of the things that is in your mind when you're riding around uh, and you're doing a dressage test or, or you're you're in a class is that you're trying to maintain a rhythm in the horse's paces. So whether you're walking or you're trotting or you're cantering, um, you want the horse to have a regular uh, cadence to have a a sort of like a, if you like, like a, like a pace that you relax into within each different, um, different pace, different walk, trot or canter. And one of the ways that I would often try to calm my nerves, but help me to maintain that rhythmic feeling was to sing under my breath whilst I was riding the horses in competition. Well, and not necessarily in competition, also outside the ring. And my sister suggested to me that this particular song might work because I was forever trying to find the right song that had the right rhythm for a particular pony or horse, because obviously you'll have slightly different um, tempo to their strides. And this particular one worked really well with one horse that I had for a long period of time and, and you know, enjoyed riding. And we had we had great fun and, and did an awful lot of competitions together. So it became a bit of a mantra when I was riding. And I, I have to say, I do often wonder whether if anyone heard me from the sidelines, they must have wondered what on is <laughs> going on. You know, like this lady's yeah. crazy. Yeah. She's just on talking abortion. to herself. <laughs> <laughs> and seeing away <laughs> what's going around. But not, trying not to do it with an open mouth, but to look very serious at the same time.
1: That probably made you look more mad at the same time.
2: <laughs> well, that's not unusual, is it? So. <laughs> but, the, the, you know, it's also just an amazing sort of anthem, Um actually, as a piece of music in its own right. You know, it makes me feel, I don't know, as, as a woman, it's sort of saying, I'm a woman loud and strong. Um, it, it says, you know, do your thing, plough your own furrow, do what's in your heart, don't follow the crowd. Um, and I think this song plays into that sentiment that I feel really strongly about, and I hope I've instilled in you and your brothers Um Uh, really strongly it it connects with that so yeah I think it's it's got a number of different um, I have a number of different relationships with it if you like Um, so it is a sport hype song just in a slightly different way to what you might expect
1: which doesn't surprise me at all rewriting the rules <laughs> bending the rules for the podcast um i think i think actually as well you yeah you mentioned kind of the strength of this song and the power and i think also that has to do with the way that she sings it i mean i uh, people who have recently seen the the newest version of a star is born starring uh, lady gaga and bradley cooper you know she she has that strength in her voice as well and and a slight sort of a carelessness with the way she sings. And I feel Barbara Streisand just encapsulated that so well and at this point in the movie as well before we hear it she's up on stage and she's sort of thrown to the wolves as it were and the crowds booing and this is you know she has never performed before to this kind of crowd and chris christopherson you know in his role just sort of says you know go on do it and she kind of turns around and goes woman in the moon woman in the moon to the band and and they nod along and then there's this moment and she just grows in confidence and it's incredible i think when you watch the movie um that that version of the movie which of course there are many um, and we'll, we'll talk about that a bit more but let's just like bear that in mind so we've got this scene where Esther or Barbara Streisand is belting out this performance and then we've got you know my mum also competing on her horse muttering away <laughs> under her breath singing Woman in the Moon <laughs> so let's, let's have a listen to it now.
2: and you know what I I I suddenly found myself there I was like cantering around the (laughs) ring while sitting on my chair yeah
1: I have to say can you can I just explain that you always used to say when you were younger you were so obsessed with horses and riding that you would sit at the dinner table and sort of trot along while eating your dinner is that not
2: correct uh, I think I might have been told off by grandpa, your, yeah, my dad from time to time being told to sit still and concentrate, <laughs> yes. But actually, all I was doing was playing out my dressage test in my head so that I wouldn't forget it. So there was a method.
1: A method to your madness. <laughs> um, and of course, as I mentioned, yeah, there's, you know, this was. Uh, the original of this film, So a Star is Born, was way back in 1937. And then there was a musical remake in 1954 starring Judy Garland. And of course, that one we just heard was from 1976. And then there's of course the most recent adaptation that we mentioned briefly as well, um, with Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga. And it's I think it's one of those songs that I imagine in in however many years time will be remade again. Um, and it does take a, a somewhat iconic, fearless female, I think, to take that role. I love that you've chosen one of her her songs i think it's yeah it's a great piece of music and um i suppose for people as well who haven't seen that version the equivalent is when uh, lady gaga sings the song shallow which of course is now sort of you know known around the world i belted it out at my wedding for some strange reason it's one of those songs that's become iconic in its own right um now we're moving on to a song for tough times. So this could be, you know, any kind of tough time that anyone's been through in their life. And yet again, we seem to have managed to get two songs in here. Um, <laughs> some strange Sorry. Written- uh so that's quite all right and this first piece of music is a classical piece of music by a spanish composer manuel de Falla. it's called nana and it's a lullaby um and i don't know whether i introduced you to this piece of music or whether you found it alone but uh tell me a little bit about this one and of course then the unthanks piece of music which is magpie and why you've chosen these two
2: you did introduce me to nana laura i hadn't heard it Uh, until I listened to you sing it um, in a a concert. And I can't actually remember where that was. But I do remember being really moved by it. And I think I'm right in saying you sung it at your graduating recital, didn't you, at the Royal College of Music? You sung the suite of Spanish folk songs by Defier, And you were with the most amazing uh, guitarist.
1: Yes? That's correct. Yeah. Her name was Maria Camerhaut and she is
2: absolutely incredible classical guitarist. Yes. And I think there were several things at that point. It's a lullaby and it's incredibly um, calming. So if you're feeling that you need to just still and to just catch your breath and to just let life just pass while you find your place in it again. I think it, it, it does that for you as a piece of music. Um, I do think that it, it centers you in that sense, but also because I think it suits your voice, uh, particularly Laura, the Spanish music seems to suit your voice for me as well. It, 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 enables me to relax and enjoy what you're singing at a completely nano-meta level. Uh, I do that all the time whenever I hear you sing, but when I hear this particular piece of music, it just takes me off into another world. And you've been really kind enough to dedicate it to me at a number of concerts that you've given, and that always gives me such a, a little inner inner thrill, little churning of the of the stomach, um, and uh, yeah. So it it has a lot of emotional meaning, and because, as I say, it calms you, it, it definitely is something that I would play if I feel I I just need to find a way through something. Yeah. Um, and completely differently, on the other hand, is the unthanks um, <laughs> and magpie, which it's just about the purity of the voice. It's so beautiful. It foregrounds what the voice can do. It's also about family and close harmony, which I love and which is obviously prevalent in our family too. Um, And it defies a genre. I mean, you could say it's sort of folk, but I'm not sure that it is completely folk music. So for me, in a way, it's just, Music and about purity of music and the different roots and and um, relationships that music builds on. So, you know, music can draw from from different eras, from different styles, from different genres, from different um, influences, and it can bring all those things together. And it can just be something that is. It doesn't necessarily have to be new. It just is. It sits. I think that the unthanks are also from Scotland or near Scotland. So there's a slight Gaelic side to this that I suppose plays into experiences I've had in Ireland where I've listened to beautiful singing. I've been lucky enough to go to a residency on an an uninhabited remote Irish island a few times run by a wonderful uh, artist and curator called Rosie McGurran. And it, a couple of those uh, occasions are on an evening when the weather's been fine, and you sit outside, and the sea is there, and the light is fading, and the Irish people get out the fiddles, and they start to sing around a fire, and it's just like nothing else. And and there is something about this particular song by the Unthanks that brings back that to me. It's wonderful. And of course, it's about magpies. So, you know, there's one for sorrow, but there's also one for joy. And there's one for a girl and one for a boy. So whatever you want, you can read into it. Um, so that gets you through because even if there is one for sorrow, there'll always be another one coming along in a minute. And that'll be the one for joy. And that's where you can go to.
1: I love that. That's such a lovely way to look upon it as well. Um, well, let's let's have a listen and then I'll I'll talk a little bit more about these two pieces and why I think they are actually more they have more in common than we m- perhaps think so let's listen to nana manuel Faria, and the unthanks magpie
2: Secret never told.
1: So good, <laughs> so good. <laughs> I, I have to say. I mean, I know that we've t- you've t- mentioned that they're incredibly different, but. They also, like you say, they actually bring a lot of different genres together. So what I mean by that is Manuel de Fire, as I said, he's a Spanish composer. He was also a pianist and he doesn't have a massive amount of of songs or music, but he is regarded as one of Spain's most influential composers of the 20th century. And that's because he took from each part of Spain and every single region, he took different styles of music. And that's why this set, so Nana, which is a lullaby, as you mentioned, is from a set of seven folk songs. And each one of those folk songs are, they're so different. I mean they are worlds away from each other yet they all are basically um taking different styles from each part of of the country which I love so there's like a flamenco style piece and there's obviously this one that is is a, a lullaby and very calming and um quite folky in its style actually I think as well and although it's played in terms of with a classical guitarist actually when you look at then something like the unthanks they're using those different genres as well and they're borrowing from from different styles of music and bringing them together. And I think that's where, you know, as someone who's studied classical music, it's always been seen as a negative if you are to mix genres and that horrible word crossover that's used. But actually if you can borrow and you can do it in a really clever way, you can create something really exciting. And that doesn't mean it has to be within the same piece of music. It could be going from piece to piece. Um, Like the Manuel de Fire, he has a set of seven songs and they're all so different. And I think that that should be celebrated. Um, And I, I love that you've chosen the the song Magpie as well because it has got that wonderful close harmony and it's sort of sung over a drone which actually is reminiscent of music that was written hundreds and hundreds <laughs> of years ago which again I think is quite amazing. Um, I love that it's got that family feel like you say and just I think they're great choices of music and <laughs> I think that I totally understand why they would get you through a tough time having that calming sense about you and just being able to to let the music wash over you and and listen to it without you know without having to really think too hard I guess Mm.
2: ah that's uh, yeah I I hadn't sort of thought about the drone and yeah I'm thinking of Hildegard von Bingen and the drone and all that early music yeah yeah you're so right and yeah, seven songs. I must go back and listen to the De ser- the set of seven, um, because I, I always get just transfixed with Nana and, and don't go beyond that. So that will spur me to listen to the other six pieces.
1: Yeah, definitely. And it is, it is, as you say, it's something that I I always include when I perform it. And I always say, you know, this is for my mum. And it's a lullaby because it's, and I suppose also now I really think it's something as well that makes me think of my own daughter, Ottilie. And that's really lovely in a way. And I have, I have sung it to her on occasion. I think it's a bit too classical for her at the moment. She's more into five little ducks, but you know, at some, (laughs) at some point I think she'll grow to appreciate it. (laughs) um and now we're we're on to the point where I make a a song suggestion for you um which is always I'm nervous I'm really I nervous don't be nervous it's always a really difficult part of the podcast for me because I do feel a great amount of pressure and, and I think somehow I feel more pressure because you're my mum and I I know the kind of music that you listen to but it is as everyone has heard today quite eclectic as well so where do we even begin but I thought I thought I'm not going to fall into the trap of choosing something that you already know. And I also feel that throughout what we've talked about, the voice itself is something that's incredibly important to you. And there's either that moment And I'm going to tell a little story about an experience we had together. And weirdly, you called me up earlier and you asked me the name of a singer and it was the singer that I'm going to talk about. But it's not a piece by her. Now, her name is Patricia Petitbon and we were both uh, in Paris and we were stood in this incredible building at the time. And this music was playing and we both looked at each other and we were like, what is that? And who is that singing? And it was because, I don't know, maybe the, the speakers <laughs> were stuck on the ceiling and it was an, a wonderful acoustic that this this sound was just swirling around above us. And we asked and it was from this uh, album and the artist was Patricia Puttybourne who has this fiery red hair and she's got this really wild way of performing, which is so uh, it's. It's something that makes you feel part of the performance. She really brings the music to life. Um, but I thought, you know, all that music. So I've actually gone for something by a, well, I'm not going to say new, actually, someone who's really grafted. He's an African artist. And I'm going to do my best as well at this point to get the pronunciation right. And I please forgive me if I get it wrong. But his name is Bongaziwe Mambandla. And the song is called Phila Kanzima. Now, he is an African artist who sings in his native language of Torsa. And it's this kind of Afro folk genre. Now, he brings his influences of uh, songwriters like Tracy Chapman and also his own sort of childhood, which was spent singing in church and having, he says, a happy but poor childhood. He says he loves the folk style of music because that sadness and storytelling and that music about people's needs and people's struggles is what attracted me to folk music. I just listened to it and the voice for me was just transformative, and I feel like it's something you won't have heard before. So, um, but as it, I always say you have to tell me the truth whether you like it afterwards. So uh, let's have a listen to Phila Kanzima. Kanzima Wow, what
2: an <laughs> extraordinary
1: voice. Yeah, absolutely incredible, and you must listen to more of of his music. And he's, uh, you know, he's someone who, as I say, is really grafted for many years, but now is is kind of reaping the rewards of all that hard work. And just his voice
2: is incredible, but just so much light and shade, and just that little short extract, the the, the sort of I, I when I listen to music, I quite often see it as a drawing, um, and uh, as shapes. And I was feeling like I was drawing that as I was listening to it. It was growing up and down, almost like the waves in the sea.
1: I see this. That's so weird. That's what I was going to say is it reminds me of being in the sea. And so much of your work now is about (laughs) the coast and swimming. And that's
2: so weird. (laughs) Oh, well, you know, we are related. Are we?
1: (laughs) Oh dear! But, I mean, honestly, I I have to say, honestly, that you are you're my favourite person in the world, and I thought that you know, getting you to come on the podcast would be. An amazing experience and it's exceeded all of my expectations and um I think also recently I said that at the moment for lots of people if we feel like we miss people or we love those people in our life that are important to us we should say it so I love you mum you're the best Aww. mum in the world and thank you for being my guest on music in
2: my life oh Laura thank you it's been amazing difficult in terms of choices <laughs> stressful in terms of choices but uh, a really, really amazing. Thank you so much for asking me and I love you too. <laughs> Thank you.
1: I really hope you've enjoyed today's podcast and I'd love to hear about your favourite piece of music. So make sure you pop a comment on Apple reviews with your song choice and the story behind it. I'm going to be reading out some of your stories in an upcoming minisode. Also, we've now put our guest song choices in the show notes, so if you want to hear any of their songs again, you can find them there. Thanks so much, guys, and see you next time.
0: Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com.